Welcome to Mission Critical, sale leaseback podcast by Ascension, the world's number one sale leaseback show. We share the latest in sale leaseback advice from the best in the game to keep you at the cutting edge of the hottest emerging practices in corporate real estate. I'm your host, Tom Johnson. We talk to sale back. Yeah, you ready? Welcome to the podcast. Uh, here with Chelsea Mandel. This is Ascension's podcast, Mission Critical. Chelsea, how are you today? I'm great. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Awesome. Nice to have you here. So for everybody who's not aware of who Chelsea Mandel is, Chelsea's the co-founder and managing director at Ascension, a company she helped build from the ground up starting in April of this year. Prior to working at Ascension, she was previously the top advisor at a Chicago-based sale leaseback advisory firm where she ran the New York office and closed about a billion dollars in sale leaseback. She began her sale leaseback journey on the principal investment side as the first hire for New Mountain Capital's net lease and sale leaseback fund. Prior to joining New Mountain Capital, she was on the acquisitions team at Starwood. She graduated top of her class from Dartmouth. I know from working with you every day, you're a big Dartmouth alumni, very involved in school. So big green. Yeah, awesome. And... um, Chelsea has also established herself as a pioneering force in corporate real estate finance due to her relentless work ethic and unparalleled transaction volume across all different real estate asset classes and global markets. So Chelsea, once again, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. All right. So kicking things off, for those who follow Ascension channels, you might know of who we are. So let's start very broad. Who is Chelsea Mandel when you're not structuring all these crazy sale leaseback transactions for your clients? I would say I'm always structuring these crazy sale leaseback transactions for my clients. Definitely have to work on the work-life balance. But I mean, you know, it's easy when you work with people you actually really like. You know, a lot of our clients have become friends. And so it doesn't feel like, you know, I'm, I'm working all the time. But, you know, I guess if I'm not focused on ascension... Um, You know, I'm a big family person, family first. I say that all the time. You know, I'm from New York. Most of my very small circle of close friends live in the city. My family's out on Long Island. So, you know, when I'm not working, I would say I'm usually here, you know, in the city, just kind of enjoying, you know, the New York City life and going to Long Island, seeing my parents, spending time with my husband and spending time with, you know, my friends who most of them went to Dartmouth and, you know, landed up in the city. So we just kind of hang out here and do our thing. Very cool. And I know from working with you, you do, you do actually have a pretty good work-life balance. I know you and your husband, you do some nice trips. You also get to do some nice trips where you get to balance work and pleasure. You did a recently, we're on a panel, hosted a panel in Chicago. You did another great one out in London. And so you get a little bit of the the parlay. We love to parlay a good, you know, business trip or client trip with just some fun. So yeah, we did the the London panel, made it kind of a, a mini moon. We got married the weekend before. So that was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, love traveling when we can. Obviously, have been uh, limited on vacations with the new company this year, but hopefully do, you know, a more proper honeymoon next summer. Awesome. Very cool. Congrats on the wedding again. So let's get back to what you are doing with Ascension and in particular leading the private equity group uh, within the company. So Explain the purpose of the private equity silo, as we call it, within Ascension. Yeah. So, I mean, just, you know, for people who maybe are unaware how we're set up. So we have, you know, our four business units. We have private equity and financial sponsors, our owner user team focused on family and founder-owned companies, 
We have our strategic advisory partners who are mostly working with other, you know, middle market players, whether it's investment bankers, lenders, other advisors in the space. And then we have our capital markets team sourcing, you know, in-house debt finance for the product typically that we're selling. So in my, you know, role as the head of private equity and financial sponsors, we're mostly working with middle market, private equity firms, family offices, you know, other sponsors, typically in one of two different paths. So the first is, you know, if they have existing real estate in the portfolio through a portfolio company, whether it's manufacturing facilities, distribution centers, you know, retail assets, healthcare, medical, really anything, you know, so long as it's mission critical to the operating company and single tenant in nature. So we're helping sponsors in that way to just free up capital that they have tied up in those properties. So they're typically you know, leveraging the sale east back to just generate capital that they have a higher and better use for. So whether they're using the proceeds to pay down debt or buy equipment or, you know, take a dividend even um, to take some chips off the table, that's sort of how we work with sponsors, you know, within the real estate that is currently owned in their portfolio. The other, you know, probably 60% of our business at this point, you know, in the private equity world is working in the context of a live M&A situation. So, the sponsor would come to us and say, you know, we're looking at acquiring this business. It has a real estate component, you know, again, distribution center, whatever it is, it's it's critical to the company that operates there. We typically will get a SIM or just some high level, you know, financial information on the company, some addresses of the owned properties, and we'll get a valuation to the sponsor and say, you know, here's what we can do in terms of structuring a sell lease back. These are the key lease terms. This is the corresponding valuation. And it's helpful for them because they could really you know, incorporate that sale spec valuation into their underwriting of the company. So whether that, you know, just allows them to provide a holistic liquidity solution for the seller because they have a solution for the opco and the real estate, you know, so typically that can make them more competitive or they're actually using the sale spec to create some spread in valuation, which then allows them to pay more for the operating company, you know, because they can kind of factor that into their underwrite. And so that's, you know, a large majority of, what we spend our day focused on, if it's not, you know, a live transaction, it's just getting these valuations out to really be a helpful resource, you know, for our client. And I would say, you know, we're happy to look at those deals super early stage, even kind of pre-LOI or pre-IOI even, just to really be helpful to the client so that they can take this into account when they're bidding on the business. And we understand, obviously, not every deal that we look at is going to get signed up and not every deal that they bid on, you know, is going to close. But that's really how we can add value and, and be a trusted resource. Very cool. So let's talk about like why you and Mike decided to start Ascension and like, you know, what was the value add prop that like you thought you two as partners can bring, could bring to the table. And and I love asking this question. I love hearing this answer because, you know, as a former broker, you know, I did apartment brokerage for 15 years and now in the COO role, I'm very experienced and versed on sitting in on sales meetings. I'm helping the sales team now being involved in upper management with the company. And I've sat in on calls where somebody goes, hey, why, why, do, why, do, why should I work with Ascension? Why shouldn't I work with somebody else? So I think like, you know, no better source to ask than you is, why, why did you guys decide to do this? And why did you think you could do it best? And then I'll have some follow-up questions from there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, a, a number of different reasons. There's also a number of different kind of routes to, to go down. I think the question of why did we start Ascension and then why did we partner, you know, to launch this together I think to start, you know, why did we start Ascension? The biggest thing is we just didn't feel like there was a real player in the space that was doing this at the level, scale, sophistication that we wanted to, and that was global. 
And with our focus, you know, in the middle market, whether it's family owned, founder owned, private equity owned, it allows us to hone in on a particular type of business where this strategy makes a ton of sense. And if we're providing that consistency of quality of service to these companies, regardless of their ownership structure and doing it on a global scale, regardless of the location of these properties, that's something that we know our competitors are not doing and they're not doing it well because, you know, when I left my prior company, I could have gone to another company, but the rationale was that the company, the level of what I was looking for, the level that our clients actually deserve in terms of client service and efficiency of our processes and knowledge of the market, it just doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist again, globally. So we're doing deals in North America, that's US, Canada, Mexico. We're doing deals in Europe. I used to say Western Europe, but now we're doing deals in Poland. So Europe, you know, more broadly, and whether you're a sponsor that owns manufacturing facilities out in Poland or in Idaho or Kentucky, we're going to take into account change of control, assignment language, the fact that you're a sponsor, you're going to ultimately have to sell this company. And if you're going to local brokers out in, you know, anywhere in Europe or local brokers here, you're not getting that consistency of what the sponsor cares about. You're not incorporating that into the lease in the right way. And you can get tripped up if you're, you know, one of these owners of these companies, if you go to sell your business and you didn't have your lease structured for, you know, with attention to those nuances, you can really get into a sticky situation. And so it was the global consistent focus for these middle market companies that we're really trying to solve for here. And in terms of, you know, kind of the value add that each of us brings, I think from my standpoint, you know, it's obvious I've been in the sale spec space from the principal side, from the advisory side, I really have a well-rounded view of, you know, all the things that the investors care about and the private equity owners care about, the family-owned business owners care about. You know, it's a very well-rounded perspective um, from all the different, you know, components of the investors and the counterparty on the other side of the transaction. And just having done it and having, you know, so many reps, I think there's really, it'll be hard to find a question that, you know, we can't answer or solve for um, in the sale back universe. And, you know, most of my experience has been in the private equity space or in the middle market, a lot of industrial, healthcare, medical deals, whereas Mike, you know, he had a lot of experience and has a lot of experience in the retail space, QSR, dealing with franchisees, you know, a little bit of a, a different component or a different focus in terms of the types of companies and the ownerships of those companies. So putting that together, fusing it, I really think we capture the full breadth of asset type for one ownership, you know, structure for two. And in terms of what he actually brought to the table, you know, to launch Ascension, a lot of it was just the infrastructure. You know, I had been at another company and pretty much had no resources. It was like a one woman army. Mike has resources at the wazoo from the tech stack, you know, all the capabilities on the tech and data side, on the operational side, you know, with people like yourselves, with transaction coordinators and closers, transaction managers, sales managers, just all these different resources to really make a you know machine run efficiently. I didn't have any of that. And so for us, it was just like between the deal experience and all the resources that we have, we can put our heads together and really build something fantastic. And that's what we're doing. No, that's, that's so true. And so I sat in on a pitch or a proposal with you a couple of weeks ago, and it's something that resonated with me, which really made me even more than ever realize like how special the services are that we offered it. And I think it was with a, a healthcare company that we were that we were talking to. It was a couple gentlemen. And you talked about the cross silo kind of collaboration that exists just between our verticals. And yeah. we're sitting there doing a pitch and 
I believe it was an owner operator, but they they were they, you had you had been uh, you know a business owner, but you'd been introduced to them through a private equity firm, and that was one half of the equation. The other half of the equation, where we were sitting in on that meeting with um, guys on our team from our strategic advisory partner group, or or formerly our investment banking group, and you know you go to I think a lot of other brokerage firms, and they're like, yeah, we can do sale lease back, but is it really maybe just a local? retail or industrial broker who's going, yeah, I can sell your building as an investment property is vacant. Oh, if you want to do a sale lease back, yeah, we can access the local buyer pool and put it on some of these third party sites. But that's not what our clients are looking for. They're looking for that private equity capital partner that can be a partner with them and help them expand their operations, grow the site, improve the site, find another location, build the suits. And so being for us, being able to sit down with a, I mean, honestly, I think it's such an advantage to go on a pitch and sit down with an owner. And they're like, yeah, we're talking to a couple of these other local brokerage firms. And it's like, well, that's great. Local buyers are a big component if you execute a sale leaseback. But what about all these international buyers? What about all these New York buyers, all these private equity firms? And that, I think, is a unique thing that we bring to the table here with the 40 or so professionals that have all that various experience. Yeah, well, I think that's a, a great point in terms of like our access to capital. You know, I definitely came from more of the institutional, you know, investor route, given the, you know, the size and the types of transactions and the credits of the deals that I was doing before. Whereas Mike and through James Capital Advisors previously had really built up such a robust network of private capital investors, whether it was, you know, from 1031 exchange buyers or local groups in California, you know, investors that are kind of buying these like onesie, twosie you know, sub $10 million deals where you have to, you know, involve them in the process because a lot of the time they could be more competitive. They can pay, you know, better rates or, you know, they're looking to fill a 1031 requirement and having that mix of, you know, private capital, high net worth individuals, individual investors, developers, you know, family offices, plus your whole institutional world, all the REITs, all the funds, private groups, public groups, institutional asset managers, you know, really diversified, more professional institutional investors, you have like that full breadth of buyer universe, which from an access to capital standpoint, you know, it makes our processes more competitive because not only do you have more groups, but you have different types of groups. And when you look at a market like this right now with all the volatility, you know, if you're a public REIT, you're facing your own risks in the market, your stock prices are, you know, maybe they're down, maybe you're having trouble meeting your dividend yield with the, you know, the cost of capital, the cap rates that you're doing, maybe the private buyers are better buyers right now. Maybe, you know, you need to specifically be hitting up the cash buyers who are, have 1031 requirements because the other private buyers can't get accretive debt. So there's different reasons why the market ebbs and flows in terms of who would be the best buyer or who could have the best cost of capital for a given deal. But I think it's important to notice that those drivers are different for different types of groups, especially whether they're public or private. And so having the access to capital across the spectrum from size, from public versus private, allows you to really make sure that our process is as efficient and resulting in the best possible economics as we possibly can for the client. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that right now with what the 30 or 40 listings we have that are in the tens of millions or hundreds of millions down to two to three to four million. We're so fortunate that we do have this company with this diverse background because yeah, you're right. Some of these smaller deals, these $5 million deals, you know, maybe there were some funds or institutional groups or, or 
our high net worth people that we'd be looking at that. But a lot of those people are on the sidelines now. And, they, and then goodness, we've got the relationships, not only also with brokers who can bring buyers to the table that are that are people that are in exchanges or, or the local or the local buyer. We've got a deal in Chicago. We've got another one in um I think Georgia right now, where we're accessing the entire network and it's just huge that we have those resources. So yeah, point well set. Um, let's back up. So I think I met you what, six months ago. Look, I was an apartment broker and getting into the sale leaseback world. I've, I've been running businesses and running operations and doing that for a long time, running teams. So I think this partnership has been perfect for me, but like sale leaseback was new to me six months ago. It wasn't to you. What what is it about sale leaseback that I'm, I've always been kind of curious about this, and I know I'm prepped for this. This is a question I was excited to ask. Like, what is it about sale leaseback and the business that you do that, that that you saw three, four, five years ago that you said, "Wow, what an amazing opportunity! I need to get in this because I'm going to crush it." Yeah, because you're crushing it. Yeah, thank you. I think it's a unique combination of real estate and credit. And those are both things that I love. You know, I started at Starwood Capital Group, very traditional real estate, private equity fund doing value add investments. Then I went over to New Mountain Capital, which yes, I was focused on sale leasebacks, but I also had such a broad experience in just the, you know, the world of private equity and credit and dealing with operating companies. I had friends who are investment bankers and private equity, you know, everybody's kind of in my circle was dealing with credit um, at some level. And sale leasebacks are like the perfect combination between real estate and credit. And for me, it was interesting because, you know, you're looking at how all these factors about real estate and credit come together. We look at the real estate fundamentals of the property, the overall strength of the credit. We have to understand financials, profit margins, be able to read, you know, financial statements, P&Ls, balance sheets, understand cap stacks, you know, and then looking at the mission criticality of the real estate to the company, which kind of ties everything together between credit and real estate. And that's almost just the way that, you know, I was looking at it was like, this is a career path that can have me at the center of real estate and credit, which was kind of the two worlds that I came from and where, you know, my networks really, I think, cross paths. And for me, that was exciting. Plus also being able to work with, you know, real estate investors who are these sellies back investors, but business owners on the operating company side, you learn a lot how people, you know, think about things. I mean, even working with some of our clients, you know, on the operating company side, learn how like sausages are made or learn how, I don't know, you know, precast concrete is like manufactured, like all this cool stuff from an operational standpoint for me is really interesting. And then being able to sell the operational assets where they do these things and where these processes occur and know what those real estate assets mean to the broader company. Like to me, that was really cool. And so I think it is like this crossroads of credit and real estate that, you know, it's definitely interesting to sell these back investors, but was interesting to me and kind of what gravitated me towards the space specifically within the world of, you know, real estate investing. Honestly, that's what gives you an advantage. And then as we instill that upon, I got to do something about this light in the long run, as we instill that upon the whole team, I mean, I go back to like my background and I remember when we first started working together, I'm like, we're just looking at, you know, we're real estate brokers, we're real estate brokers, we're just looking at the real estate. And like, as I get more ingrained in this, it's like, if all we're doing is looking at the real estate, because yeah, we're selling the real estate, that's how we're making our fees at Ascension when we're transacting. And by the way, we're doing tons of advisory stuff and capital market stuff too. But when we're only looking at the real estate, we're not really looking at the big picture. And I think that's a lot of our competition is 
just sitting down with an owner. They're going, yeah, we can help you with your real estate. We can execute a sale leaseback. That's only half, if, if sometimes not even half of the equation. The credit, the business, the site level financials, going back to that pitch I did with you, you a couple of weeks ago, there were three things that you said were important is we're looking at the overall credit of the company, the P&Ls, the balance sheet. Then we're going to look at site levels, financials. Then we're going to look at the real estate fundamentals. Mm -hmm. And I know that's the approach also that a lot of the REITs have. Real estate's very important. They're not going to overpay for real estate that is priced wrong, the rent is too high. But if the real estate's okay, but the site level financials are great and the credit's great, they're going to be a lot more excited about it. So I think that's, it's really an interesting thing that I've learned through this business. And I think that gives Ascension a unique advantage is the ability for us to really have expertise on advising these business owners about their understanding how their businesses run and their businesses operate and how the real estate component, when we factor that in, we can really help them grow their operations or do many of the things that a sale lease back is, is, is made to benefit them for. Um, it's like a sale lease back, you know, doesn't even make sense. If you're looking at those three prongs and the credit is not there, say it's like a turnaround situation where, you know, one of my private equity firm clients is buying a business and we put forward a valuation based on a set of lease terms, but the company today can't afford a market rent. They're, they'd be leaving money on the table, you know, either putting in place a lower rent or they'd be really straining the business from an operational standpoint and a financial standpoint in trying to pay that rent. Sometimes we may just say, look, you know, we'll kick you over to our capital markets team to help you finance the property. You could buy it levered to help your returns. But a sale leaseback just doesn't make sense right now because from an operational and financial standpoint, the company can't afford to pay a market rent. So you'd be leaving money on the table if we did something today, hold it, turn the company around, get it to a place of profitability where there's sufficient, you know, rent coverage at the site. The credit is a much better story. And we'll look at a sale leaseback then. And that's like part of what you said before of working within you know, the crossing of the silos, because it could make sense that, you know, just traditional debt financing is, is the solution today to lead rise to a sale back potentially in the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's jump into like some specific questions because obviously the market is changing. We meet every week uh, within the company. We see where these rates are going. Uh, we see cap rates changing, number of offers changing on deals. So, when you're sitting down with companies today, whether it's on the private equity side, uh, which are you know partners with many of these family founder owners, or you're sitting down with the, the the owner operator, what are you saying to them? You know, when they own the real estate and they're looking at a sale leaseback transaction in the climate today, like what should they be focusing on? What should they be concerned about? How urgent should they be figuring this stuff out and making a move? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a challenging market right now. You know, I think everybody from in any participation in corporate finance or real estate is having some effect, you know, on their business, what's going on in the markets right now. You have inflation, you have rising interest rates, the stock market doing its thing, you know, all these different factors. But I think at the end of the day, you know, sale leasebacks from a financing, you know, perspective, I think right now what you're seeing is that the cost of capital in a sale leaseback from a relative standpoint is actually more attractive. And this has traditionally been the case, but Right now, it's even more attractive than what's going on in like the traditional financing markets. You know, we have tons of clients with great businesses, you know, great portfolio companies that are just saying, our lenders are pulling back, you know, they're being more conservative, they're taking our leverage down, you know, half a turn or so, base rates are up, spreads are out, you know, our cost of capital for traditional financing has just gotten way more expensive. Cap rates 
have also gone up. The cost of capital of Sally SPACs has also gone up, but it's not been, typically it hasn't been as aggressive. So right now, and I think I said this, you know, a couple months ago, I think deals are going to like eight caps or the new normal eight handles. You know, if this were a year ago, I'd be saying six handles, but the market has been moving quickly. You know, the sale leaseback market doesn't function in a vacuum. So everything that's going on does trickle into our space. But I think if you're a private equity firm and you're still buying companies, you know, in the single digits to low double digits, which is most of our private equity clients, a sale leaseback, even if it's an 8% cap rate, that's 12 and a half times multiple, that should still be, you know, pretty accretive from an arbitrage standpoint. And when you look at that sale leaseback versus the quantum of proceeds that you're getting from more traditional financing, I bet you sale leaseback proceeds are multiples of that because leverage has come down. And even without, you know, those factors, a sale leaseback is typically giving you two to three times what the property, you know, could be like commanding with a traditional loan where they're looking at appraised value. The lenders aren't looking at, you know, the value creation of a long-term lease. And so from a quantum standpoint, you have greater proceeds from a cost of capital standpoint. I think now you're getting a better cost of capital with the sale leaseback. And so I still think the arbitrage equation and, you know, the relative cost of capital of the sale leaseback still makes a ton of sense, especially given what's going on in the other pieces of the market right now. Financing aside, arbitrage aside, it doesn't for some of the, doesn't it make sense for some of these owners just to do a sale leaseback because they can free up some capital, pack it away for a rainy day. If we think we're going into a recession, you can build up some of your reserves uh, of course, obviously, you can invest it back in, get some equipment, do some things like that. But it seems to me like that's something that is going to resonate with a lot of people right now is I'm worried about cost increases. I'm worried about maybe my sales sales going down. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I, it's, it's right? you know, using a sale east back to create some cash to put on your balance sheet for a rainy day. Like, that's the same thing we saw in the early days of COVID. You know, our business from a volume standpoint was booming and it was mostly you know, family-owned business owners who were kind of just getting a bit conservative, a bit nervous about everything that was going on, you know, was using a sale lease back to generate cash to make payroll or to just have some reserves on the balance sheet, you know, to be cautious in this environment. And yeah, I think that's that's definitely going to continue. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. I mean, you know, differences at that time, there was fear about COVID. Some lenders weren't willing to do things. But in, in any case business owners were going, oh, shoot, I'm not going to make money for the next six months, maybe. The whole country is going to be shut down. And in, in some cases, okay, we go into a recession. I'm not going to make money for the next six or 12 months. And this is a way, it's the same thing. It's it's the same solution to solve a very a very similar problem, the, the causation being different. So what's the one piece of sale leaseback related advice that you'd give someone encountering their first deal? We got a lot of brokers listening to this call. What's What's the big piece of advice? What's Chelsea's million dollar answer? Well, what I would say is what I wish I knew for my first deal. And I remember this so vividly because I feel so I'm like, you know, when you get like secondhand embarrassment, looking at something that you did, like at some point yourself. So my first deal ever on the advisor side. So, you know, take into account the context here. I came from a very institutional investment firm. We never retraded a deal. You know, we were really great to work with everything we signed up. We closed. So I moved over to the advisory side. I signed my first listing and I was like counting the dollars, like my commission, like I had already earned it. So I was like, you know, deals always sell. Every deal I've seen go to market, you know, always gets done and buyers always perform and it's always super easy. So I started counting up my commission. I'm like, all right, this is the money that I'm going to make this year. This is going to be awesome. 
Okay. If you were selling your first deal, like it is not done until the money hits your bank account and you see your wire come in because things happen, environmental happens, credit concerns happen, investment committees don't approve deals, property condition reports come back with tons of repairs, like things happen. So be resourceful, be a problem solver, right? Be thinking always of solutions and how to make things happen for your client and how to get things done. But just know it's never easy. There's no such thing as an easy deal. Hurdles will come up, challenges will come up, and you will work through them by being transparent with your client and letting them know, you know, if issues come up. But don't ever think that it's over until it's over because the deal is not done until the money is in the bank. I wish someone told me this because I've heard, my first I've deal, heard that story from so many people, right? Don't, yeah. don't buy the Rolex until the deal, your first Rolex until your first deal is closed. Yeah. Yep, yep. I had my first deal. I had a buyer walk away on the first deal that I ever signed up, which was a $50 million like food production facility sale lease back. Very good institutional quality deal. I signed up the deal. I was counting my commission. I was like, this is awesome. The buyer walked away from some credit concern that they dug into, you know, over diligence. I didn't have any backup buyers because I didn't think I needed them because I thought, you know, this was a done deal. This is a great deal. That's when I learned my lesson about backups. Always have backup buyers. Always be ready to pivot if you need or be able to pivot if you need to. What are you most looking forward to in 2023 as it relates to the sale leaseback industry? Yeah, I mean, look, I think Q4 is, or, you know, it's going to be a rocky quarter. Thanks, Chelsea. One final question before we wrap up here. So we're in Q4. We're heading into 2023 shortly. A lot of noise in the market. What are you most looking forward to, though? in the industry overall, as it relates to sale leasebacks in 2023? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm just looking for, you know, the market to stabilize like everybody else. I think Q4 right now is going to be a, a choppy quarter. You know, we have a lot of buyers that are kind of sitting, waiting to see what's going to happen. And, you know, the the kind of expectations between buyers and sellers, I think is a bit wide right now, just given the market dislocation. So I'm just excited for things to hopefully come January, you know, to stabilize a bit and get all the typical buyers, you know, back into the market so we can just do what we do best. So that's what I'm hoping for. Awesome. And because there's a lot of money on the sidelines now, right? I mean, they're, are they really, you know, everybody that you talk to, are they just really looking for a little bit of certainty, whether it's going up or down, at least to have some certainty? Is it kind of the fear of the unknown right now that's really causing the biggest pause? It's not everybody, but yeah, it is the fear of the unknown. I mean, we're doing deals. You know, we're, I don't want to make it sound worse than it is. We are doing deals. We're closing deals. You know, we're getting things done, but you do have pockets of the market where some buyers are out of the market, either because their stock prices are taking a beating and with their dividend yields, the cap rates that we need, you know, make sense. And some buyers are out of the market because they rely on asset level financing and they can't get accretive debt and they're not going to do negative leverage deals. So you have, sort of, you know, a variety of reasons that are contributing to some buyers just being out on the sidelines if they could afford to be um, and just kind of waiting and seeing for a couple months to see what happens. But I think by the time January comes around, you know, the funds, the REITs, the more institutional groups at least have to start meeting their, you know, their equity allocations for the year. So I think that'll get people back into the market for the ones that were able to, you know, have the luxury of kind of waiting things out a bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Very cool. Thanks again for you joining us here. Mission Critical Ascensions Podcast, the annual kickoff one. You are my first guest of, of many. Um, 
Awesome. First one, and I'm actually going to see you in uh, two, three weeks out of New York. So thanks again, Chelsea. Mission Critical, a sale leaseback podcast by Ascension. To find out more about Ascension and how we can help you achieve a higher standard of real estate advisory, visit www.higherascension.com. And then make sure to search for Mission Critical in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. We talk to sell leaseback.